I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Well, hey there. Welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week, we have something special for you. It is a podcast short. Now, as you may or may not recall, we recently celebrated our 15th anniversary as a show. We were very excited about this milestone, but it would not have happened if not for a person named Courtney Hameister. You see, she was the host and the head writer of this show for many years before she left the show to become a famous author. Speaking of which, uh, she has a book out. It's called OK, Fine, Whatever, and it is currently a semi-finalist for the Thurber Prize for American Humor, which is a really big deal. So this week, we're going to play Courtney reading an essay from that book at our anniversary show recorded at Revolution Hall in Portland back in June. Um, So just a little background. So this is actually from the book. Uh, So it takes place kind of right at the beginning of the book. And what was going, what I was talking about was that I was hosting the show for nine years and I had a, frankly, a lot of anxiety around it. And, uh, And so this actually takes place on the eve of our ninth anniversary show when I had a massive two day panic attack. Uh, Luke's in this, by the way. (laughs) This is the first time hearing about this. (laughs) I called the producer and for the first time in nine years told her I couldn't do the show. I also offered her a solution. One of the guests we were planning on having on, Luke Burbank, an incredibly quick-witted, charming, natural showman who hosted his own popular podcast, could fill in. We'd booked him to see if he'd be a good replacement for me if I ever got sick, so it made perfect sense since I was, if you consulted the DSM, currently very sick. The next night, the worst and the best thing happened. The show was utterly, completely fine without me. That sucked. And it was wonderful. But it also sucked. Luke glided through the show as if he'd been hosting it all along and I could suddenly breathe. In the end, I stepped down as host and remained head writer and co-producer. I felt my body change the moment I decided. My shoulders relaxed, my chest opened up, and my stomach became butterfly-free. The only time the decision leveled me was after the first show I spent at the producer's table a month after I'd stepped down. 
The night had gone smoothly. I was entertained, and I was frankly quite proud of myself for handling an awkward situation with a plum. Afterwards, we all went to the cafe across the street. I sat at the bar, turned around to see who else was there, and spotted Luke on a banquette in the corner, talking to a film director who'd been a guest. There were a few people surrounding them, listening. Luke was holding court. I remembered how I'd felt after every one of the 200 shows I'd hosted. A tidal wave of relief with a few droplets of pride in it would wash over me as soon as I heard the final theme music. Then I'd walk out to the beaming faces of friends who'd come to see the show, and strangers would approach me to tell me their favorite parts. I don't think I handled these moments well. I deflected all compliments because I felt strange about them. I generally wasn't responsible for the best moments of the night. The show was put together by a talented crew of people, and I was just a member. But I got to stand in the spotlight for three hours and then step out of it and have everyone attribute the whole production to me. When I saw Luke holding court, I realized that what I was witnessing was what I really lost. All that gratitude, all that admiration, all those people believing that I had my shit together and that I was worthy of three hours of their time. I hadn't realized how much I relied on it, and now I'd lost that 400-person affirmation that, unbeknownst to me, I'd been using to counteract all the dickish things I said to myself every day. I realized all of this in one terrible moment at the bar, and Jim, a friend and show producer, saw it happen. You okay, he asked. Yep, I said, and I bolted to the bathroom, managing to lock the door behind me before the tears fell. I sat on the edge of the toilet and sobbed as the weight of the decision crashed down on me. I rocked back and forth and read the graffiti on the wall to distract myself. Joshua West is a selfish prick. <laughs> you are worthy. I ate too much cheese. <laughs> I laughed a little and pulled myself together, but then my brain refocused on the trigger image, some Seattle rando basking in a glow that used to belong to me. <laughs> BTW, he's not a Seattle rando, he's a very nice man, I was mad. And then more crying. I was fine after a few minutes, but now the problem was my face. It looked like a map of Russia and the former Yugoslavia with a pair of frog eyes to the north and a clown knows where Bulgaria used to be. <laughs> the only way I could get out of there without Luke seeing me was to make a run for it. I speed walked to the bar to grab my purse, keeping my back to him. Jim followed me outside. Hey, he said, they still love you. They all still love you. I felt so pathetic for being a person who needed to hear something like that. No, I said, they don't. They don't even see me anymore. Those faceless crowds of people didn't know me and I didn't know them, but obviously they'd meant more to me than I'd been willing to admit. To be clear, I've never missed the job, but I will always miss everything and everyone the job brought me. And it made me wonder, why couldn't I push through the anxiety and just enjoy it? I asked that question of William Todd Schultz, a psychology professor, and the author of Torment Saint, The Life of Elliot Smith. He attributed it to my personality type, high in neuroticism and low in extroversion. Shocker. <laughs> Those two things do not go well with performing. <laughs> Welcome to this show, everyone. Also, fuck you, I'm leaving. This is horrible. Extroverts thrive on external stimulation like hundreds of clapping people, while introverts get their energy from time alone and are far more sensitive to stimuli like hundreds of clapping people. 
some level of extroversion is obviously important for a performer, and according to Schultz, being high in eroticism is particularly problematic for entertainers as it leads to more pronounced anticipatory dread. I asked Luke, who took my place as host, what made it worthwhile for him to get up on stage, as he always looked completely at ease, sometimes more than when he wasn't on stage. It's been said to me by people I'm married to that I'm much better at relating to large groups, he quipped. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Your good interactions with a single person, imagine sort of mainlining the best uncut freaking adrenochrome of that. It's euphoric. I can relate to him. Just because I am, as Todd put it, temperamentally ill-equipped to be on stage, that doesn't mean I don't crave connection. I recently saw a picture of myself walking off stage after reading an essay on the show, and the expression on my face looked like pure, unadulterated joy. But that's not what I remember. The part I remember most is the week of trepidation I felt before each show, because I believed that my worth as a person was about to be decided by 400 people I didn't know. Sure, I might have a successful show, but successful enough to make up for the 78 hours I spent worrying? It's like cooking Thanksgiving dinner. If you were to see the actual work-to-enjoyment ratio of that meal, you would never do it again. But almost none of us look at it that way. It's a matter of perspective, and Burbank's perspective is unquestionably positive. In fact, almost pathologically so. In stand-up, you only remember the people who laughed, he said. I would record a set I thought was killing and replay it to hear three people laughing. <laughs> it's a survival technique the spirit employs. You don't do the math, he said, otherwise you realize you're having a 0.05% success rate. As for me, I could never not do the math. I am what psychologist Nancy Cantor referred to as a defensive pessimist, a person who doesn't necessarily expect the worst, but prepares for it just in case. <laughs> uh, the problem is that mindset won't get you through weekly three-hour performances. You need to be able to push through the fear and the nerves and the YouTube comments over and over and over. You need what Luke has in spades, a powerful down-to-your-bones belief that in the end, everything is going to be okay. I didn't have that feeling. I didn't think that I'd ever have it. So when, during that anxiety attack, my body and mind seemed to be turning on me, in actuality, they were trying to save me. If I'd continued hosting the show, I probably would have eventually had a heart attack. And maybe some things are worth dying for, but applause is not one of them. In the months that followed, I noticed myself becoming increasingly unsettled. Not hosting the show created a huge mental chasm where worry used to live. At the same time, I was frustrated that my anxiety had finally taken something huge from me. I'd already lied to myself, told myself it was manageable. Sure it was, in the same way that a stubborn cowlick or a white tiger is manageable, which is to say manageable until it ruins your sixth grade class picture or rips half your neck out. And this job wasn't the only thing anxiety had taken from me. It also took away my optimism. Living with a constant low-buzzing anxiousness can rob you of your ability to imagine good things happening or even recognize them when they do. You're always waiting for the other croc to drop. <laughs> things are dark in your imagination. Everyone wears crocs. <laughs> I started thinking about ways to get beyond my anxiety that didn't involve psychopharmaceuticals. Could I reintroduce myself to the world, show myself the way one shows a baby, which things are there for fun and edification, and which were there to attack me with a knife, and how not to get the two confused? Was it possible to relearn optimism? That's when the OK Fine Whatever project was born. I started writing a column called The Reluctant Adventure, wherein I did things that scared me and wrote about them. 
These were baby steps, so I didn't jump out of a plane. I did things like going to a sensory deprivation tank and a professional cuddler, and of course, build your own burrito night at a sex club, where <laughs> the most shocking part of the night was when they ran out of tortillas. <laughs> I was so mad. Uh, <laughs> I dubbed this my okay, fine, whatever project because those are the words we anxious Eeyores utter when embarking on adventures that Tiggers are excited about. I did it for just over a year and I didn't magically turn into an optimist. Just one thing really changed, a word, interesting. When faced with a new experience, instead of saying, that sounds terrifying, I would say, well, that sounds interesting. And that was enough to make a huge difference. And I was proud of myself for my year of living relatively dangerously because I'd done it all as an anxious person. In fact, whatever I'd accomplished in my life, it was because I managed to push through this pathology that told me that everything was gonna suck. We call Superman brave, but he flies through life with the knowledge that nothing can harm him except kryptonite, this thing that no one has. That's not bravery, that's just being indestructible. I think anxious people deserve capes because we force ourselves to get up, put on our ill-fitting lycra tights, and leave the house daily in a world where we know 13 people are killed by vending machines every year. <laughs> and that is terrifying. Thank you. All right, that is going to do it for this special Livewire podcast short. Hope you enjoyed it. A big thanks, of course, to Courtney Hameister. Live Wire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. If you'd like more information about our show or how you can find our podcast or sign up for our newsletter, you can head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. PRI Public Radio International. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.